Welcome back to the Coffee and Bible Time podcast. For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's Word and thrive in Christian living. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, and more, and we just launched a brand new in-depth Bible study academy. We hope you will check it out if you want to learn how to study the Bible for yourself. Well, I'm Mentor Mama, and today we're going to be talking about experiencing God at a deeper level through His abiding love. I think we all have this desire to know God more deeply and to grow every day in our faith and to know without a doubt the love that God has for us. And as Christians, we try to add our own sort of flesh-fueled ideas of what we think building a relationship with God should look like through our own effort and our own works. But sometimes we need help living and just resting in Jesus and finding our way to the place where we can really know the hope of God and know that He is truly for us. Well, our guest today, Ron Block, author of the book, Abiding Dependence, Living Moment by Moment in the Love of God, knows very well that becoming who we are meant to be requires a deeper experience with God, and he will be sharing more about that and his own walk with Christ today. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Mentor Mama here. At Coffee and Bible Time, we recommend you introduce Jesus to your kids as early as possible. That's why we're partnering with the Talking Jesus doll. The Talking Jesus doll is so cute and made of the softest, snuggliest material, And you guessed it, he talks. When you squeeze his hand, he speaks 10 phrases that Jesus said in the Bible, from the Lord's Prayer to John 3.16 and everything in between. It's so important to introduce children to the love and lessons of Jesus in their formative years. I love this product and so does everyone else. The Talking Jesus doll is loved by families on four continents and has hundreds of five-star amazing reviews. Kids are learning Bible verses and even using the doll to minister to others. So if you have kids, grandkids, nieces, or nephews, this is the perfect birthday, Easter, or Christmas gift. Go to JesusDoll.com and use promo code CBTDOLL to get 10% off your purchase. That's JesusDoll.com, promo code CBTDOLL to get 10% off your purchase. Ron Black has been a banjoist, guitarist, vocalist, and songwriter for Allison Krauss in Union Station since 1991. He wrote many of the band's gospel songs, and his playing has been featured on albums by Dolly Parton, Vince Gill, Reben McIntyre, Randy Travis, Alan Jackson, Brad Paisley, 
Fernando Ortega and others. He's received 14 Grammy Awards for his work with Alison Krauss, Vince Gill, and the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, and received a Dove Award for his song, A Living Prayer. He has also written on spiritual and musical topics for the Rabbit Room website since its inception in 2007 at rabbitroom.com. He married Sandra in 1988, and they live in rural Tennessee. They have two grown children. Please welcome Ron. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Ellen. Oh, Ron, I am so excited to have you on here. And as I was reading your bio and the book and sort of getting to know you through the materials, I was like, oh my goodness, the movie, oh brother, we're out those literally one of my husband's favorite movies and the music <laughs> is just it's it's just so catchy and captivating and uh, so great i bet i bet you had a lot of fun working on that project <laughs> i did it it um you know it was a lot of that music was the music that i listened to as a teenager you know cuz i grew up in a southern california sort of rock and roll you know area mhm and I heard bluegrass when I was 13 and it just like, it exploded my brain and that's, wow. all, that's all I wanted to learn and do. And so I kept digging back and back to the, to the music, like not just the bluegrass of the late seventies, early eighties, but like the bluegrass of the sixties and fifties and forties. Mm-hmm. And then what was before bluegrass, I just kept digging back and back. So I listened to a lot of old music, like, like the O brother soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. So it really did influence what you're doing today. Well, Ron, I just love having the opportunity to see how God works, you know, through the testimony of his people. So why don't you just start by sharing with us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and what your early life was like? I grew up Southern California and my dad uh, was a music store owner. Uh, He worked at a music store till I was about six and then he took it over. Um, called Hogan's House of Music. My mom was, uh, she had a lot of abuse in her early life. So I kind of grew up with, and her sisters and her brother too. So there was this whole kind of culture of that, like not of abuse of me, but of theirs. And Mm -hmm. so like mom, I grew up in sort of hearing about that stuff, but mom got, mom found Jesus at, I was about two years old. So my two older brothers kind of grew up with a slightly different mom or a different version, mom mm-hmm. 1.0. Yes. <laughs> and then I grew up with mom 2.0, like upgraded to a woman who suddenly knew she had a father who loved her mm-hmm. unconditionally, loved her forever. And, and there was this kind of beautiful love that I grew up in that I remember the love of my mother really deeply. So I went forward at at five years old or six years old. Mom bought me a Bible, which I still have. Mm. And then the Thomas Nelson Family Bible Library, like she bought that in 1970 for me. And so my childhood was filled with a lot of reading and Bible stories. And and then reading, I was reading books about American history, you know, kids books and time travel and, you know, fantasy and science mm-hmm. fiction. So my, my whole childhood was filled with reading. I read and read and read. 
wow. when, I was, when I was young, you know, and, it, and it, that continued on the rest of my life. But I got into music. I uh, got a guitar when I was 11. But then, like I said, I was about 13 years old and I heard bluegrass. Oh. And it absolutely, dad says he got me a banjo when I was 13. And I didn't come out of my room till I was 21. So, <laughs> so that's and that's kind of true because my whole mindset just went to playing music, and uh, and that became a huge thing, a huge huge thing in my life. The biggest part of my life was yeah. was has always been playing music. So, <sighs> well, can you maybe narrow in for us just a little bit? when you actually did become a Christian and why you decided to commit your life to Christ. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our in-depth Bible study academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Well, when I was six, you know, I honestly, I just think I went forward because I loved my mother and I and it mm. pleased my mother. And I, lo- I remember loving the singing, like Trust and Obey and Blessed Assurance. I yes. loved all the music in church. It was a ba- We went to a Baptist church. So I think I, I don't remember going forward, but I'm pretty sure as a, as a little boy, I just wanted to please my mom and make her happy. And, you know, and but I did believe in God. But, you know, back then to me. Although I may have heard about the loving God in church, I to me God was mostly like more like Zeus or Jupiter. Mm. You know, it's like God gets angry, you sin, God gets angry, you don't obey, God gets angry. You know, it's like it was that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I had that I kind of had that concept of God where he was up in the vague somewhere and I'm down here and I'm trying to live my life and even though when I sin he forgives me, he's still annoyed. Right. So that was kind of my concept of God all the way, like through my early teens. And, uh, and it wasn't until I was 17 that I began to hear a different way. Oh, yeah. It's incredible just to see. I love those stories of sort of just how God is planting the seed, it's growing and watering. And then, um, kind of sounds like for you, then at 17 is when you really owned it. Yeah. I went I went to a really for about probably 9 months which is a gestational period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went to a really legalistic church. Mm-hmm. You know, a friend of mine got me into this really legalistic church and you know every Sunday I'd go there and it's like you're a terrible hor- oh, horrible no. filthy rotten sinner and so here uh sit here and we're going to take communion 
and but you have to sit here and think of all your sins, every sin you could have possibly committed this week, and name it to to the Lord, and like just like it was always sin conscious, the whole thing, and. I didn't know what was wrong, but I just knew I felt terrible all the time. Mm. And so I went to the pastor and I said, I don't know what's wrong, but, and I've been reading the Bible my whole life. So there were things that weren't jibing with what I've, you know, what I'd read. And, uh, and I said, I don't know what's wrong, but you're not teaching the whole truth somehow. And he said, well, let us study with you. And I said, I'm going to go study on my own. <laughs> and, and I, and you know, and I did, you know, I, I ended up doing that, but I had a friend and that was about 17 years old. I had a friend that we sat and had conversations in his car after band practice. And his friend, Eric Guglum, one of my best friends, uh, he said, he said, Ron, after he heard all this, he said, Ron, we're not saved by what we do and don't do. We're saved by trusting God. Mm. And he actually told me, he said, you're going to have to make a decision. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to believe that what you're going to have to decide whether what I'm telling you is from Satan or from mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to decide that. I went home and I read Galatians and it just went boom. You know, those revelatory moments where things just like attach themselves to your face, Aww. you know, and you can't and you, you're like, wow, it's all there. And that was the what. That was what it was like that night reading Galatians. There were so many things that went, brrr, and all of a sudden I understood like, you know, 90% more than I'd understood. I, it was one of those uh, moments that drove me into the next probably 10 years of Bible study and all that. Ah. Oh. Wow. Yeah. You know, God's word, they say, is sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, right? Yeah, like yeah. it really just pierced your heart. And... Yeah, and it hacked off a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, fleshly ideas of, you know, what God wants from me. Well, tell us then, um, as you shifted then into your musical career, and tell us about the years that, you know, when you started with Allison Krauss and Union Station and tell us what it was like to be part of the bluegrass, one of the top bluegrass genre bands. Well, that was the that was a great thing because, you know, as a as a teenager playing music, it was, you know, I love music. I still love music. I still love playing music. You know, I'm I'm 58 years old and I'm still come downstairs and I go, okay, I'm going to practice. I'm going to learn this. And I'm, I'm just like, it's abated a little in terms of my energy to do it for hours and hours, but I still practice several hours a day on guitar and banjo. So, mm -hmm. but, so I loved it. And then as a, as a teen, when you play bluegrass, you go to festivals, bluegrass festivals. So there are all kinds of other people at all ages playing music in the, in the, you know, campground. So you have the the music on the stage and then you have all the music people are playing in the campground. So I would go jam. So in the jamming, it was in the, the that kind of jamming culture, that's where you start meeting people. So I met people and joined a local band. And then I was playing in a local band, jamming at festivals, met other people, and then I quit that band 4 years later, joined a regional band. We traveled much more widely. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started meeting Allison and the guys in the band. It was a much wider thing. And we were all in different bands. So by the time, you know, 1991 came 
and the job opened up with Allison, I had already known those guys and had a relationship with mm-hmm. them. Like we'd gotten together and jammed, we'd laughed together and had fun together. And so, and I'd even played a couple of gigs with them to fill in. So I had a relationship and, uh, and so they call, you know, Allison called me, you know, I was the one person for the job for her, you know, so it was, I played guitar, banjo, and I sang harmony vocals and I wrote songs. So I had, you know, several skills to offer. Right. But it was, it was a really heady, beautiful experience that first, you know, however long that was of just going, wow. And these guys love what I do. And you feel so validated especially if in some ways you've not felt validated and you know, that in itself becomes a danger because it becomes your self image becomes dependent is dependent on other people. And that's a whole other subject. Oh yeah. I yeah it was, about that. <laughs> but it was heady. It was, it was just absolutely huge amount of joy and amazing fun. And, uh, and, and it was hard work at times, you know, through the years, it's been hard. It's, it's the studio can be a hard slog sometimes. Mm-hmm. Lots of times it's fun. And then other times, like for me in those early years, I got too perfectionistic. And, uh, and then, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, you know, I feel like I drove people in the band crazy with my perfectionism, mm-hmm. which is what perfectionism does to the people around you. Yeah. They're like, would he just lighten up, you know? Mm-hmm. So you can, so, but that's when your self-image is coming from the music. Your self-worth is coming from how well you play or how well you don't play. Mm. So it was no longer in my behavior necessarily. It was in my, it was in my playing. So it just transferred idols, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. During those years that, um, how would you describe sort of your spiritual growth was it hard to, you know, balance? Um, did you, I don't know, stay connected to God's word? And yeah, I I read. Um, I was I was always reading the Bible, you know, in those especially in those early years. But you know, there there are always things, you know, in our lives that we don't we don't understand. And mm-hmm. until you and I, when I say understand, I don't mean mentally. I mean like you get it. Like, you know, it's that revelatory moment I spoke of earlier. Yes. Where yes. you suddenly go, I never saw this before. Like that, that's that kind yes. of revelatory moment. And so mm-hmm. I was, you know, reading the Bible, trusting God for, to take care of my needs and to get me to heaven when I die. But it was basically, and God loved me no matter what I did or didn't do. So I had that, but it was basically up to me to make my life work and become more holy and become a, a uh, not don't resent people and be forgiving and all that. It was all dependent on me. And so I was, it's that, it's that half breed living in the one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Cause mm-hmm. you're still, you know, you're going to heaven. Uh, God loves you no matter what. And then your other foot is like, but I got to make my life work. And I'm an independent me trying to be good to please God. Yes. So that when I go to heaven, he'll say, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. So it all depends on my effort. So that's the place I was then. And, um, and so it was, it was this, my life was just like, I was down, I was up, I was waking up in the middle of the night and my head to spin in with anxiety and all that stuff. And, but it made me the beautiful thing about those times is if you're, I was a good Baptist boy, 
raised with a total respect and love for the Word of God, the written Word. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, I was like, there's the answers, just dig. And so I began to dig. And, you know, I and I read various authors too, but those, you know, C.S. Lewis, George MacDonald, uh, Norman Grubb, various, various authors pointed me to my identity that and suddenly I started reading the Bible and I actually would come to it and go, Lord, based on my upbringing and what I was taught, I think I know what this passage means, but only you really know. So I'm going to take off my theological glasses. I'm going to set them here. I'm going to sit here like a little child and I want you to show me. And you know what, what happened so often to me was simply that God wanted me to take the words at face value. I mean, not necessarily always literally because trees don't clap their hands, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's poetic language. But when it says, I died in Christ, that's that's not positional in the way that a lot of people mean it. God saw me as dying in Christ, but I'm not really dead because I'm a horrible sinner. Like they, That's what people do. They rationalize these yeah. statements. But really, for me, it began to be much more about taking the word at, at face value as much as possible. So when it says, I died in Christ, I died. When it says I was resurrected and that I'm a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, yes. I go, that's a fact. Even if I don't feel it, that's just the way it is. And so as I began to take that in that time of you know, ups and downs, I became a little more stable. And, uh, but you know, like, it's like the, the, it's like, this is this whole thing that we do, we call being a Christian and growing. It's really like concentric circles or, you know, because you start out here, God's Zeus, and then you come in closer and you go, oh, he loves me, Mm. but, but I still got to work hard to please him because, you know, I don't want to make him mad. And then you, then you come in a little closer and you go, wait, he loves me no matter what I do. And then you come in a little closer and you go, wait a sec. He changed me into a different person. Yeah. I don't feel that. And then you come a little closer and you go, well, I'm starting to sometimes feel like I'm a different person because I have all these drives and wants that weren't there before. I don't remember this. And then you get in closer. And as I go in closer and closer, you know, the center of that is simply just sitting with God mm. and being with him every day and then walking through your day going, he's here. I don't have to, I don't have to snap my fingers and go, Lord, please come down here. I beg you, Lord, come down like you did of old. Cause he's, he's not visitational. He's habitational. Yes. He inhabits his people. He's already there. He- he's already here. And all we do, the thing that makes him want to manifest his manifest presence because his presence is always there the thing that makes him manifest is when we go i believe in you lord god i believe not that you're up there you are but that you're here in this room with me right there with you the lord god almighty is here and lord jesus is here and the holy spirit is here and we are not it's not just me independent trying to make my life work and trying to be something for god it's god being himself in me through me as me to other people it's totally different it's a different yeah. way of life right it, yes it absolutely is it changes know. every changed everything for me <sighs> It sounds like it completely did, and that's just the perfect segue in into getting into your book a little bit more, abiding dependence. And I 
think your your introduction is just so spot on with what you just kind of talked about there with um, recognizing where you know what 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 God does for us as opposed to what we're trying to do. I was just wondering if you would be willing to share at the be- very beginning, you said to my mother, Joyce Marilyn Black, you loved me with the love of Jesus. And I saw his face reflected in your joy when he came to take you home. That was unbelievable. Yeah. My mom had, uh, she had pancreatic cancer and then she had, Johns Hopkins operated. They got it all, but it came back to her liver. Mm. So, so my aunt and uncle brought her to our house, um, and she, she stayed here for about five weeks. And so I had like five weeks of really precious time. Mm. I had to go on a short tour, but I had mostly probably four weeks or a little less of really precious time with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, where you know we say we got to say everything, and it was it was wonderful. Um, so then we took her back to my aunt and uncle's for a visit because all the cousins were flying out because they all knew she was going to go. I still thought we could pull her out of it with like, like super raw food, you know, the juicing and stuff, but she couldn't Mm -hmm. stay awake long enough to do the program. Anyway, Mm -hmm. we got there and then we had dinner with everybody and it was great. And mom was a little tired. And then just after everybody left the next couple of days, she started going downhill. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll just for- fast forward to the last moment. You know, I played guitar for, and she was always just loved that I played and she was really proud of me and was sweet, mm-hmm. sweet lady. But at the very end, um, there's the hospice bed. Uh, my wife is sitting on my left holding mom's hand. And I'm sitting there, you know, with my hand on mom's head, looking right at her in her eyes. Of course, she's she's kind of far away because there was a tiny, she was having tiny doses of morphine, just a little bit yeah, to, to you know, dull it. And then my aunt was behind her, laying on the bed behind her, hugging her. And then my uncle was standing behind my aunt. So that's the scene. So, and we're, and so at the very end, we're all singing, Jesus loves me. You know, Jesus loves me. This and we were all just singing to her. And she was just kind of out of it. She hadn't she hadn't really tracked to look at me. I could she was just kind of looking right through me, you know, with her eyes open, laying like this. And then all of a sudden as we were singing, she hadn't done this for hours. She'd been laying like this for hours. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden she she was like this. And then she went. And and then she went, lifted her head off the pillow and went, (gasps) and she like put her head back a little bit and she'd lifted herself up, which she was too weak to do. And she, her eyes were just like huge. And of course I'm, uh, my first reaction is I went like that. And the guy, of course I didn't see anything, you know, cause that's not for me. Her face was for me. So her eyes were got huge and I just stared at her eyes and I thought, and that the weird thought, I just thought, I never realized how blue her eyes are. Mm. And they were so beautiful and just wide open, you know, in, in joy. Like the look on her face was astonishment <sighs> and joy. And, and, and then Sandra, my wife said she has goosebumps on her arms. And then she did that for probably maybe 15, 20 seconds. You know, wide, wide-eyed yes. wonder and mouth wide open. 
And then she laid her head back down on the pillow, closed her eyes, closed her mouth, and then smiled a big smile. And then probably 40 seconds later, boom. Oh, Ron. And that was it. And it was, you know, so I never had, I I always felt like, even from that moment, I felt like mom just moved to a different area code. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is perfectly plain. Like, I don't have anything to, what is there to grieve except that I don't get to see her? Yeah. There's no grief of like, oh, she died. She Mm. didn't die. So that was, that's my, that's my uh, dedication. It was truly, truly one of the most beautiful moments of my life. Uh, Okay. I thank God that he gave that to me. Yeah. That is such a gift. Yeah. You know, when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, this sounds like my mom. And it's almost, I, almost. Tell me the story. Tell me the story. Almost identical. She was in her hospice bed. And she, for probably two days, she had lost contact with people. She just basically wasn't communicating anymore. Her eyes were closed. And then at the very end, she did the same thing. Her eyes opened. She looked up and she got the hugest smile on her face. Yeah. And and then, like you said, it's like she saw, you know, Jesus, Whatever the light is, welcoming her. And it, and then, yeah. yes, and then that was the end. Yeah. So I just, uh, I love hearing, you know, how God uses that to just yeah. reassure us and comfort us. Yeah. And it's such a gift. A hospice worker told us stories mm-hmm. the night before. She was like, you wouldn't believe the stuff I'd seen. And I, the mm-hmm. stories were just beautiful and sometimes heart-wrenching but but most of them were beautiful there were a few Mm. where i was like "Ooh," (laughs) (laughs) but most of them were just what were jesus stories they were just where the where the person saw jesus and then the the person who had to let them go went ah i understand god isn't it isn't that funny god gives it god it just so cares Mm -hmm. about us and he gives us even Mm -hmm. that little grace if we really need it yeah. He gives that, that that little bit of grace to go, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Oh, yeah. Ron. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that personal story with us. Um your your book, Abiding Dependence, is meant to introduce us to the beauty and the richness of the gospels in 40 days of meditation. So help us understand what you mean by abiding dependence. That's a, always a good question. Uh, it was, you know, it was a phrase that I used in the book. It became the title later, but it was a phrase I used in the book because it was the best way I could un- to, to, I guess, understand for myself, which is really what a lot of this book was about, me f- unpacking stuff, like that I, some of the which I knew and some of which I didn't. But the, the phrase abiding dependence, so Jesus said, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. And then he said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty clear dividing line. Yeah. And then John says, he that abides does not sin. And that means he that does not abide sins. So that again, that's our, so that's the benchmark or the, the, the linchpin or the diagnostic. You know, if you're stepping out and you're sinning in whatever way, then you're not abiding. 
but you don't try not to sin in order to abide. You actually just go back to abiding. You go, Lord, I just did that. I hate that. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the one that abides in you and rests in you. So I trust your life in me. And thank you for your blood that washes all that away. I'm not Mm. even going to think of it anymore unless I hurt somebody. And then I go apologize to them. Mm -hmm. So that's abiding. So to abide is to live with, like with my wife, I live in the same house, right? Mm -hmm. We live here uh, and we abide together. Does that mean that I always have to be focused on her and always be following her around and talking to her all the time? No, that would drive us both crazy, (laughs) right? Because we wouldn't get anything done. Yeah. So with, with God, it's similar, except he does go with you. But as a human being, I, I literally cannot be talking to you and at the same time fully concentrating on God. That would not allow me to talk to you very well. So in, so instead, what abiding is, is it's the same as living at home here. It's the, just the undergirding awareness that I am living with my wife. That's just, that's just part of my consciousness. Mm-hmm. So that's what God wants us to build in abiding is to build that consciousness that he's with us, that he's living with us, that he's always here, that we can always just turn and go, okay, Lord, I'm starting to get really mad at this guy. Um, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And he'll tell you, you know, he'll go, sometimes he'll go, don't say anything. Sometimes he'll say, say this. Sometimes he'll say, just turn and walk away. Gee, listen, if you really learn to listen. So it's that abiding, that abiding awareness is simply recognition that he's real and present and here. So then the dependence part of it comes when we go, okay, he's, he's the, you know, in the old terminology, he's the husband and I'm the wife. Right. So, you know, of course, in the old terminology, the husband is a provider and the, you know, and the wife, the wife is the one that takes care of things and manages and is the, she's really the, in fact, the Lord of the state in a way, but he's sort of the resource, uh, resource guy. It's not always that way in our modern day, but that was, you know, that's where Paul uses husband and wife as, Mm -hmm. you know, that, so the, so God is my, to go back to that old analogy that really today people get offended by, but it's just considered an old analogy. The, the husband is Christ or God or the Holy Spirit with all the resources. He owns all the resources. So everything that I need for today comes from God. So if I need love, joy, peace, uh, patience, gentleness, goodness, humility, faith, and self-control. If I need money or financial stuff, if I need food, if I need whatever I need, I go to him and he's going to give it to me if I really need it. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially concerning the vert- the virtues of like love, joy, peace, gentleness. So dependence. So you have abiding the conscious awareness that he's real, but not only that, the depending is that he's real for you and that he's real in you and that he's real in wanting to manifest and give his life and share and partner his life with you. That's the dependence part. Yes. That's a long explanation, but that's essentially it. And we can trust in his provision for us. Yeah. Well, your book is broken out into the 40 days. 
And I thought maybe we could just talk about one of those days. How about um, day four? So in day four, you call it Jesus, the tempted son of man. Tell us about that and why it's important to know that Jesus was tempted in all the same ways that, that we are, yet he was without sin. Yeah, I think in order to answer that, I think we have to look at first briefly that he, you know, we talk about him being fully God and fully man. Mm -hmm. Many people don't really believe that. We think Jesus is Tim the Enchanter and Monty Python. I'm going to heal this person. And, he, and he, we think of him as operating from being the son of God. He was the son of God. He never stopped being God. But he came here and he said, I'm not going to use my omnipotence. I'm, I'm no longer, I'm localized in a human body, right? So I'm not om omnipresent. I'm not going to use my omniscience because there are things he obviously didn't know. Who touched me? Who touched me? Of that day and hour knoweth no man neither the Son, but the Father in heaven. So there's things he didn't know. So in order to be fully human, yet fully God, he had to set aside his attributes as God. Because if he was living here as God, he's not fully human. If he's not just like me, having to depend on God every single day, mm -hmm. every single day, trying to get through the day, figure out what to do, and getting that intel and then listening and then having power from the Holy Spirit. If he didn't have to do that, he's not fully man. So that's why him being temptable and being fully man, yet remaining fully God, but the fully man part is so important because otherwise he does not understand me. And in being fully man, there's no one in all of human history that will ever be able to stand before him at the end and say, you don't understand what it was like. No one will be able to say that because we will have had the same opportunities to trust God and to trust God living in us. And we will, and we will have the same power given to us to do that. And so no one will be able to say, oh, it's not my fault. You didn't get it and all that. He will totally understand where we were, how we had to live and all that stuff. And so that's our part is to recognize him as really as the compassionate high priest. He looks at us and he goes, oh, I've been there and I know you failed and you failed 50 times in a row, but you're not going to fail the next time because you're going to trust me this time and then I'm going to live through you because you've been trying to do it yourself. Yeah. So we have to learn this stuff. And so he, of course, he ne he was without sin. He never failed to live from the Holy Spirit in him. We do. And so that's the part that's different. But But he has patience with us in the process of learning to be what we're meant to be. And we're really meant to go into eternity as, you know, as full-blown sons and daughters of God, like of the same lineage as God, 
because he's put his nature inside of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, this thing's so huge, I can barely, sometimes I use too many words and then I go, oh, I talk too much, or I wrote too much. But it's like, I can't get my mind around how big it is. It isn't just forgiveness of sins and we're going to heaven. It's like, no, you are a massively huge part of the eternal plan of God. And it's, yes. it, it, I, I, you can't even get your mind around how important we, each of us is in this whole plan. Right, right. Sons and daughters of the king. Well, you write a lot about certain words like belief and repentance, and that these words are sometimes misunderstood. So help explain the difference between these and maybe give us an example of when when Christ taught the true meaning of each of those words, belief and repentance. Well, like the, the, you know, repentance, you know, we've often heard metanoia and it's, it's, you know, I grew up thinking repentance was, oh, you have to feel bad about yourself and feel like a horrible, filthy, rotten sinner. And then you go forward and then you weep on the altar and then people come and pray for you. And it's this whole huge deal. And now sometimes that's appropriate. I'm not saying that's never appropriate, but I'm saying most of my repentances are simply going, Oh, I was going that way. And I hate that way. I don't want to go that way. I was walking that. I want to go this way. That's all it is. It's a change of direction. I'm going to, instead of thinking I, everything depends on me and I've got to provide for my family and I've got to play well and I've got to, I suddenly go, wait a second. I've been filled full in Christ of everything that Christ is. And I have all the power to learn anything I need to learn or do anything I need to do. So that's metanoia. Simply go, wait a second. I was walking the wrong way. And that does not lead to good places. And this other way leads to good places. So I'm going to turn and face God and and follow him where he goes because it's better. That's all repentance is. It's just to turn from one thing to another thing. Metanoia, change of mind. So we can dispense with all the sort of like the weight of uh, penance and all those ideas of like, oh, Kong, hit yourself over the head and, you know, all that kind of stuff that we've done in our lives, you know. Uh, and then belief, I talk about belief and faith a lot in the book because belief can be intellectual assent. We can, you know, it doesn't mean that in the, in the you know, in Greek, it doesn't mean just intellectually assenting to an idea because I can believe I can believe that the moon is a is basically a globe without it affecting my life at all I can have that intellectual belief but biblical belief or faith is not is not biblical faith until you actually bet the farm that's the best mm-hmm. phrase so this chair it's a little bit rickety But when I walk in the room, I mentally assume that this chair is going to hold me. Mm -hmm. And so, but that belief is just intellectual belief until I sit in a chair. Yeah. Right. Or I can believe that I'm at a restaurant and I can believe that the food is going to be good and it's not poisoned. And we all operate like that. Like the food could be poisoned. Right. And, Mm -hmm. And mentally ill people are always like scrabbling around like that, worrying about all that stuff. That's abnormal. 
Like we operate by this natural kind of faith every day. We sit in chairs, we eat food, we drive our cars, and we go, and, and we go well, the probability of being in an accident, I'll just be careful. Probability of being in an accident is really low. Well, we don't know that we're not going to get in an accident. We just trust that we won't. Yeah. So we operate by that natural kind of faith. But when you apply it to the invisible God, that's, it's a leap. Like there's yes. a, there's an actual leap you have to make because your logic takes you to a certain point. And you go, I've had all this experience with God and I, um, and I've read the Bible and I've had revelation. And, and so I've, I, I'm at this point where God wants me to, to try something absolutely new. And I don't know if I can do it. And then God takes you all the way to there with all your experience and all your, what you've known. And he goes, now you're going to leap into the unknown. And we, and so we have to bet the farm again. And he's always leading us to those moments where we, where we're like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have, I either have to go forward or I go back. Yeah. And if I go back lots of times, you know, God doesn't condemn us, but he will, he will go, you know, I'm going to get somebody else to do it if you won't do it. And then we lose the blessing of yes. taking part in that. So we, so instead of starting the new business, we shrink back. And then he goes, well, I need somebody else to start that new business. And they get it. Yeah. Right? So, uh. so the best illustration that I have of that for myself is very small, but I was in a Bible study, a long-term sort of cell group. And at the end of one of them, <clears throat> we were, we were praying and it was the prayer part at the end. And, and, and then all of a sudden a quiet fell and the Lord said to me, sing. And he put a song in my mind. I don't remember what it was. So he said, sing. And, I, and, and internally, here's my internal dialogue. Yeah, but that would be weird. You know, people think I'm weird. And, you know, I start singing and everybody's praying and they'd all like open their eyes and look at me and be, it'd be weird. And he goes, sing. I want you to sing. Yeah, but and then all of a sudden, uh, Calvin, the one of the worship leaders, started singing, same song. No. So, so, so the Holy Spirit is that. That's I. I envision yes. the Holy Spirit is going. Hey, I got a great idea. This is awesome. Sing this song. It's going to be perfect. And I go, well, yeah, but. And he goes, no, no, sing it, sing. It. I need you to sing it right now. And I go, yeah, but. And then he goes over to Calvin. Calvin, I need you to sing this song. And Calvin obediently. Start singing because he listened and I did not. So I missed out on the blessing of being the guy that got to do that. Yes. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. So it's, and it's not like the Holy Spirit was like, I can't believe Ron didn't sing. He just goes, hey, I just need the job done. It's, it's, it can be you. It can be him. It's fine. But I picked you first <laughs> and you, you opted out. So we do that a lot. And, but belief, faith is sitting in the chair and hearing the thing from God and doing it, even if it makes you look bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that I know for me, that is something, you know, that I have to pray about and say, Lord, help me be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading today. Um, help me, you know, to be brave. Would he ask me to do something like that, that you right. feel uncomfortable doing? And, yep. Yep. Uh -oh. Yeah. I don't like being embarrassed. You know, like, I mean, as growing up, I'm getting better at it because, you know, when you don't like something, lots of times God will keep sticking you in situations where you are, where you experience that. So you, you get a little more hardened to it. You're not as, you know, worried about it, you know? 
Yeah. So I have embarrassing moments once in a while. <laughs> I, think we, I think we all do. Yeah. Well, as we kind of wrap things up here with your 40 meditations, I was actually thinking that this would be so great for people to do like during Lent, like you could read one of nice. these a day and we will definitely put a link to this um, in the show notes. So after writing these 40 meditations, is there one that just really resonate or means more to you than the others? You know, one, one, one that really, I, I really like, I can't say that it, I can't pick out one because the book is, it's kind of a whole, mm -hmm. you know, but there is one uh, and it's belief often determines experience. So now, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, the New Agers were saying, oh, your beliefs create reality. Well, that's not necessarily true. Um, but our beliefs do determine our experience. So if I go, if I go to a party and, and, uh, and I go there thinking no one likes me and, uh, and I'm self-conscious and I wish I was at home and I'm an introvert and I'm thinking all that stuff, mm -hmm. I go there. And I try to interact and I try to be funny and I try to be social and people will talk to me for a few minutes and they'll turn away and I guarantee I'll go home, go and see people don't like me. Hmm. Right? Because I've created that weird feeling by having weird beliefs. <laughs> yeah. So the beliefs themselves cause me in my body language, my expressions, my tone of voice, everything to sound nervous and a little weird. And then other people feel that and then they go, well, this other guy's way more fun. I'm going to go over to, you know, like that. So that happens a lot, you know, to, to, in I'm introverted. I don't seem like it right now, but, <laughs> but I am introverted, but I, I've learned to really push past all that and walk into those situations like this. And I, and I go, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see all these people. And there's going to be amazing conversations and lots of funny stuff happen, right? So you have a different attitude. So if so, if that same guy goes to the party with an attitude like that, and you're and you go, I just want to love people. I just want to see them yes. and see who they really are, and talk mm -hmm. to them and listen to what they say, and it's going to be amazing. So your focus is off yourself and on yes. the other person. Then your belief your belief in not only in your own ability to manage that in Christ, your introversion, and you can push past it, but also in just being other centered and concerned with other people, then that, that makes changes your experience like that. And the same is true. Sports people know this and music people know this sports people. Attitude is everything. Belief uh, is everything, right? Yes. You, yes. Play sport, you play sports and you go into the game going, yeah, I don't know if I'm good enough. And well, you're out of the game. You're going to sit on the bench because you have a bad attitude. Because yeah. they need people in the game that are going, we're going we to We're going to yeah. bust it. We practiced. <laughs> we've been great. And we're right. And it's yeah. the same playing a show when you play music. It's exactly the same. You have to go into it. Going, these people came here. They paid money to see us. They love us already. And our band has practiced where we've been on the road for two weeks. The shows are going great. And this is going to be an absolute blast. <sighs> and then you walk out on stage with that, like, with that kind of like, we're going to have so much fun, you know, yeah. us, all of us, right? And then the audience feels that. They feel the difference. 
rather than somebody coming out there real self-conscious and and then you're nervous for the person on stage yeah <laughs> uncomfortable and mm-hmm. yeah so beliefs do determine our experience they often do yeah so that's a big one for me thanks for sharing that uh, one run people who are listening you're going to read these and find that you're just going to have something that you can take home that you can apply to your life that day after you read it and i i think that that's such an excellent part of of the book is that you really can be encouraged and know that how much god loves you and how you can really abide and his presence more through this book. Well, Ron, where can people learn more about you and the book? Uh, you know, I have yeah, I have it for sale on my website, ronblock.com, but uh, they can probably find me on rabbitroom.com. Some of those writings are a little older um, and not as reader-friendly, shall we say. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I'm mostly, pl- I'm mostly a musician. So they can find out about the the book and buy the book like Amazon, my website, the rabbitroom.com. They have books for sale and really any place that sells moody books like they they can they can get those. And then oh, here's the other thing. I I almost forgot. I just came out with the Audible version. Oh, excellent. And now I read the Audible version. Oh. And then the other thing was uh I I said this to the to the audiobook folks, I said, I want to play guitars on it. Oh. So I open so I open each each devotional day is open with it starts with guitar playing. Oh. And I'll have one or two guitars. And it's like it's either something I made up or it's an old hymn, but it all has the feeling of like reverence and sweetness and rest and you know all that. And so it's they'll start with a it starts with a little guitar and then i start coming in the the guitar comes down i start talking and saying you know day one yeah life and breath and then i then i give the verses and then by the time i finish the verses and i'm about to start the actual devotional part the music stops and then there's one at the end and then usually there's two or three in the middle or more of little pieces of music underneath my talking. So oh. it's kind of, I tried to make it like a movie, like ex, a movie like experience yeah. where the, the music supported what I was, what I was saying. So oh, I absolutely love that. And how perfect would that be for those of you out there that have a commute? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. That would be so great. Yeah. Or going on a long walk or all yeah. those things you can do with audible. Well, Ron, thank you so much. Before we go, I just want to ask you a couple quick questions here about your favorite Bible study tools. What Bible is your go-to Bible and which translation is it? I grew up really, like I don't have a, a like a study Bible. Um, I grew up with the King James Version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love the new King James, you know, uh, smooths out a few things here and there. Uh, but I had a, a Bible translation called the Word, hmm. and I, I got that like in the in the early '90s, and it's really thick because it it has like 
you know, 14 different translations oh. where only where oh. they, they, where they slightly differ, oh, you know, okay. where they're, where they're really, si- each verse is really similar. It doesn't give all those, but it'll give the ones that differ. Mm. And that's really eye opening. Like, cause you're like that, then that makes you go, okay, well, I'm going to go look up these Greek words in Strong's, you know? Mm-hmm. So, th- so I love that word Bible, but I often read on my phone. I have the Takarta app and then mm-hmm. I have KJV with Strong so I can click on the, the Greek and the Hebrew words and, you know, just kind of get a gist of, so that helps me. It's sort of like, it's almost like having an amplified Bible. Yeah. You know, where I, where I hit the, those, those words and I can read those. And then, uh, I use, I most of, I had Logos Bible software for ages. Like in the, in the nineties, when I was talking about really, really digging, I was like, I'm buying the, I Mm -hmm. bought one of the higher up versions and I had just way too much stuff. Uh, but now I just use, I usually use blue letter Bible. Okay. And then I clickable everything you can see everything you can cross reference and all that. It's amazing what you can do now where before in the nineties, I was like getting out Strong's concordance and flipping pages to find that, you know, all that. Yeah. It was, it was much more uh, laborious. And what was the other question? Journaling? Just one more. Yeah. Do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? You know, I just bought a bullet journal, but not necessarily for Bible stuff. Mm. So not yet. I haven't got into that part of it yet, but it's just sort of like mentally organizing my life, you know, a way. But for really for journaling, I have, I have like since the nineties, I've had a prayer journal on my computer. Oh, and, wow. uh, and so, and then every once in a while I go, okay, you got to start a new one. Cause it's like, you got like five years here, <laughs> you know, oh, my goodness. So, and so I don't do it every day. I don't journal every day. I did. I have gone through periods where I do it heavily every day. And it's just like, I dump all my thoughts and tell God everything and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And some of it ain't very pretty. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. You know, you just, well, it's, you just, he can take, he can take yep. it. So you just dump all this stuff. And then, and then you begin to gain clarity on it. But, uh, it, it's also, um, it, it becomes my Bible study. And then if it becomes something I can write about, I'll cut and paste it into another doc and then I'll go, oh, I'll write on this. And then I write something. So, so the computer, the laptop really is my best. My, it's like, it's like my second brain. You yeah. Know? So I yeah. use that. I use the laptop a lot. That's so cool. And I love, you know, we, we have prayer journals and I love just the fact that you can look back and see yeah. God's faithfulness, yeah. right? He doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to, but you can no. see, wow, you know what? His way actually was better <laughs> or yeah. he answered it just the way I wanted. God, I so think good. he will answer. I think he answers our deepest, like the thing in us that he put there, those deepest things. Like, you know, when we become a believer, all of a sudden you really do deep down, you go, I want to be merciful. I want to be kind. I don't want to do this, this, and that other thing. Those are horrible. I don't want to do that. I. That's why the only reason we, that's why we hate ourselves when we sin. You know, like, you know, when we self-condemn, the reason a self-condemning person is doing that is because that's not their real nature. To do that thing. And then they just went against their real nature. But instead we translate it and go, Oh, that's my real nature. That's why I did it. But it actually shows the opposite. 
when you do something that you hate and you hate that you did it and you can't rationalize that you did it, that means you have a new nature inside you that's saying, but wait, but wait, but wait. So those prayers, that thing, God is going to answer. He's always going to answer, and it won't always be pleasant. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lots of times he answers it by going, uh, you, you really want this thing, but you're not going to like the way that it comes about. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know what? From where I sit at 58, I go, I'm, I would not, I'm so glad God did those things in my life. Because where I sit now, I go, oh, what a relief to be free from getting my self-image from playing music. Now I can play music and and be totally free in it yeah. and have, have total fun without all the pressure. <sighs> Super fun. Yes, that's the yeah. way it should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ron, thank you so much for taking your time to be with <laughs> us and to share about your book. And just your determination to know and follow and abide in God that really is just going to help, help so many people do the same. Beautiful. For our listeners, I encourage you to pick up a copy of Ron's book, Abiding Dependence. You can find the link in our show notes. And lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all. Have a blessed day.